You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, when we make some comments and uh, offer some thoughts here on the afternoon show, it doesn't always have to be serious. So I thought I would start this afternoon with something I found in uh, my local paper, the Otago Daily Times, over the weekend. I was having a nice long peruse of the paper last night looking in the letters to the editor page. And I thought I'd see what people around the province are saying about the issues of the times down in this part of the country. The main issue was understandably health and the dreadful state of the cancer services in the south of the country. But going beyond that, I was fascinated with a letter written by somebody called Tony Masanowski from McAndrew Bay, which is on the Otago Peninsula. Uh, He is very, very unhappy with 200,000 cruise ship passengers having visited Dunedin this past summer. He calls them, and I quote, itinerant gawpers who were disgorged into our streets, buses and opportunity shops. And he goes on to say that the cruise ship industry and its hedonistic and carefree participants demonstrate a palpable disregard for the sovereignty of the collective future human condition. Dear me, unquote. Uh, He finishes off by saying staying at home and reading an extra 200,000 books would be a voyage of faith and hope towards that unifying and life-preserving message and goal. Oh dear. I really do hope that Mr. Marcinowski starts taking his happy pills very soon. What an absolute sad sack. Uh, Let's not allow people to have some fun and have businesses make a few extra dollars. Hell no, according to him, uh, we should instead have more regard for the sovereignty of the collective future human condition. Hey, Tony of McAndrew Bay, here's my advice to you, man. Get a life. This is Reality Check Radio RCR. I see the doctor of fear, the purveyor of gloom is at it again. Yes, Professor Michael Baker has warned us that we are having our fourth wave of COVID-19 and we should all be vigilant. He says we're having about 2,000 cases a day reported at the moment, but he's saying the same old stuff that's been doing the rounds for, what, a couple of years now? Get another jab. Isolate if you're infected and wear a mask in badly ventilated rooms. Well, I'm prepared to do one of those, maybe, sort of. If I get a sniffle, I will try and avoid others as much as possible. But why is there no advice about trying to stay healthy, about making yourself healthier? I'm a great believer, as I've said before, in vitamin C and vitamin D. And there's a new report out this week published in a medical journal called Physiological Reports, which says that vitamin D strengthens the lung lining preventing COVID-19, as well as other viruses from penetrating the body's airways to cause infection. The authors of this study say that published literature has indicated that patients with a vitamin D deficiency were five times more likely to become infected with covid Although, to be fair, those with normal vitamin D levels may or may not get a benefit from taking extra vitamin D. But Dr. James Mullen, who was the lead author of the study at uh, Lankano Institute for Medical Research, which is near Philadelphia in the USA, he reckons the benefits of taking vitamin D are so clear 
and the risks are so minimal that he believes doctors, physicians should be recommending supplemental vitamin D right away to everyone. So isn't it remarkable how the benefits of vitamin supplements are just never emphasised by the likes of Michael Baker? He just says, get a jab and wear a mask. Isn't it time, really, we started thinking a little differently? Now, do we stand back and applaud the government and the Labour Party for putting another $10 million into the new Dunedin Hospital after they'd already taken $90 million out? I guess you could say it's better than nothing, but the point is that the government promised the earth for a new hospital in Dunedin originally, then discovered it would cost more than originally budgeted, so they went and cut costs. Now they're putting back about 10% of the cost they cut, and they expect us to be jumping for joy. But big building and infrastructure projects always cost so much more than planned. So who was really surprised when the budget blew out? Frankly, on matters of health facilities, there is no point in scrimping and saving. It's false economy because the money will have to be spent in the years ahead anyway. But what this extra $10 million from the government does is prove that if a community makes a loud enough noise, especially in an election year, it can win some minor battles against the bureaucracy. And in this part of the country, the part of the country that I live in and broadcast from, the Otago Daily Times, the local paper, the provincial paper, should be congratulated for leading the charge. It's a small win, but it's a significant one. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Well, it looks like the reluctance of people to work unattractive jobs is now inflicting the prison service, and that can only make our communities less safe. On Saturday, we read about this memo from a police senior sergeant to his staff to, quote, consider the necessity of arrests. Uh, that was being explained by police and corrections officials over the weekend saying that Rimutaka Prison in Upper Hutt was near capacity and that police holding cells are no place to keep prisoners for any length of time. This morning, though, we've heard the real reasons. The corrections union boss, Floyd Duplessis, says the country is desperately short of prison officers. He reckons there are actually 2,000 to 3,000 spaces available in the country's prisons. It's just that there's a massive shortage of people to work in them. He says that's hardly surprising when prison officers are paid $59,000 a year and baristas and bus drivers are often paid more. So do we care about the safety of our communities or don't we? Surely the least we can do is pay prison officers the same as police. If we want communities to be safe, we need criminals off the street and behind bars. Violent offending, apparently, is up 42% in the last five years, yet imprisonment sentences are down 36%. That just does not add up. Being a prison officer is a dangerous job. We need strong people, both physically and morally, to do it. And you know, we should be paying them much more than $60,000 a year to do it. Now, there's a fascinating column in the latest Spectator magazine about next year's American presidential race. 
I just happen to think that Joe Biden, frankly, is a waste of space, barely capable of doing the job, and this presidency uh, will go down as one of the worst in modern times. Yet he wants to do it again, and he'll be about two weeks short of his 82nd birthday when the election is held next year. It's highly unlikely the Democrats will pick anybody else as their candidate. As for the Republicans, well, common sense would say that the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, who is just 44 years old and is incredibly popular uh, with the voters of his home state, he would be the logical frontrunner. Except that the New York district attorney has made a huge issue about Donald Trump and his payment of hush money to this woman, Stormy Daniels. And all that has done is put Trump supporters and other Republican supporters into overdrive with fundraising and support for Donald Trump to have another go at the White House. Frankly, Biden v. Trump for the American presidency, again, should make us all throw our hands up in despair. Is this the best the free and democratic world can do? Uh, Putin and Xi Jinping must be laughing. Anyway, a writer for The Spectator, Daniel McCarthy, says the Republicans have to be strategic and be patient. He says, if Ron DeSantis gets serious about a White House run next year, then Donald Trump will white ant and undermine him. Best, he says, uh, for Trump to get the nomination. And then in four years from now, Trump will either have completed two terms as president or be a two-time loser to Joe Biden. So it will be impossible or implausible for him to run again. And remember that in uh, 2028, Ron DeSantis won't even be 50 years of age. I think Daniel McCarthy is writing a lot of sense here. He's saying, just be patient, Ron. The big issue is how will the world cope with another four years of either Sleepy Joe or the mad narcissist Donald Trump? You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Now, as you may have heard with Paul this morning here on RCR, there are two significant court cases in the Court of Appeal this week about vaccine mandates, one placed on the Defence Force and one placed on teachers. I don't need to repeat all the issues here. Suffice to say that the outcome of these cases is very important for New Zealand's future, because you see, if the government, after these cases in the Court of Appeal, is found to be acting legally and mandating medical procedures despite Sections 10 and 11 of our Bill of Rights Act, then there's nothing to stop them doing it again. Once again, the lawyer writing under the pseudonym Thomas Cranmer has explained the case magnificently, and that article is available on his Substack and on nzcpr.com. But in essence, according to Thomas Cranmer, there are serious questions about whether the Crown reached the very significant evidential burden required to demonstrate that limitations placed on Sections 10 and 11 of the Bill of Rights Act could be justified in a free and democratic society. Cranmer has pointed out that the Crown left out important facts in its evidence at the original court hearings, evidence such as Medsafe saying in its final evaluation on the vaccine in early 2021 that it was unable to recommend that the Pfizer vaccine be granted consent because of unresolved concerns and the lack of quality safety and efficacy data. 
Medsafe went on to advise back then that the benefit-risk balance was not clear. I mean, the evidence from our Medicine Safety Authority is just damning. Yet the government insisted on mandates. And Thomas Cranmer's final paragraph states, It seems that the government did not fully disclose all material facts to the courts or to mandated workers. Maybe the courts will have something to say about that. We hope so. We most certainly hope so. The evidence as presented in Cranmer's story, which is based on official information received through OI requests, is absolutely damning. The court cases start on Wednesday. Cranmer's full story is easily accessible. It's important you should read it because you won't see any mainstream media covering the issue. Uh, Just what was the local government minister, Kieran McAnulty, on uh, when he said this yesterday on Q&A? Quote, there are provisions we have in this country that would not stand up to a purely academic democratic framework. Hmm. That is gobsmacking, isn't it? It's right up there with Willie Jackson saying democracy's changed or Tamati Coffey saying we are making tweaks to democracy or even the former National Party Attorney General Chris Finlayson, the actual innovator of the phrase co-governance, once saying to me in a podcast interview when I suggested all votes should be of equal value, he said I had a purest view of democracy. Dear me, it seems we have politicians who, who can't quite cope with the concept of government of the people, for the people, and by the people. So Karen McAnulty is now saying having every vote count equally is merely academic democracy. And these people run the country? (sighs) David Seymour rightly has pointed out the folly of it all. He reckons by calling democracy academic, Karen McAnulty has declared war on New Zealand as a modern, multi-ethnic, liberal democracy with a place for all. You see, I still struggle with the concept of anyone owning water. That's what this is about. Three waters, affordable water reforms, call them what you want. Water is a natural substance. It falls from the sky. It gathers in lakes and rivers around New Zealand. We have far more water than we need. We do need to distribute and store and dispose of it more efficiently. Of course we do. But that should be the responsibility of us all together, equally you know, between 500 and 600 billion cubic metres of precipitation falls on this country each year. We use barely 5% of that for everything, irrigation, drinking, washing, the lot. We are in no danger of ever running out of water. Under British common law, water is a public good. It should be the same in this country too, except that our courts have complicated matters way, way too much. For anybody to claim ownership of water is, I believe, logically nonsensical. And that's why the new version of Three Waters is just as bad as the old one. Until those Temana Otawai statements or orders from Iwi and Hapu are done away with, we will not have an equal society. I want a purely academic democratic framework with no tweaks or changes and frankly, with plenty of purism, Chris Finlayson. Anything else in a democratic society, in a real democratic society, is just unacceptable. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. 
Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio.